Hi, guys. Happy Thursday. This is Pop Culture Mondays on Thursdays, and I'm your host, Brooke Hammerling. Pop Culture Mondays on Thursdays. Hi, guys. It's just me this week. No reason other than I've lost track of days. I'm having anxiety dreams, uh, which I normally don't have, but I had a dream this morning that I uh, slept through everything. I woke up like the day after Christmas. Like I was Rip Van Winkle. Is that the guy who slept forever? It was like that. And I missed everything. I didn't send my holiday gifts out. I didn't do any of that. So if any of you are having anxiety around that, I see you. I am your person. But this is a pop culture podcast. For those of you listening for the first time, I am not a writer. I am not a professional news person in any Anyway, and I don't get paid for this. This is just my hobby. I write a weekly newsletter called Pop Culture Mondays. This is its podcast, which covers some of the stuff we write about. I write about. There's the royal we I keep doing. That's weird. But it covers some of the stuff that I write about on Monday. And then inevitably, other pop culture, zeitgeisty things, good or bad, uh, across the board happen between the time I publish the newsletter and this podcast. So we talk about it and we have guests here and there. And this week is just me. As I said, I, I was having anxiety dreams. Time means nothing right now. I think since the last time we spoke, I have been in New York and then LA and then DC and then LA and I'm a bit of a zombie. So That is why it's just me and you get to listen to me ranting about all things Space Karen, a.k.a. Elon. But before we get into it, I do want to say I know we're Trump free. If you read the newsletter, we are Trump free. The newsletter kicked off during the Trump era administration in quotes. So it was an escape from that. And we are sticking with that. We need an escape. I mean, obviously, Space Karen is becoming Trump, but it's fun to sort of dive into that, though. He's I don't know. It's a lot. It's a lot. Sometimes I wish we could just legitimately mute him from every aspect. But before we get into that, I had the ultimate privilege and I thought I would share with you guys because it's such an interesting story. It's funny. I had the ultimate privilege of going to the White House this past weekend. I was I mean, technically, I think I was I was the third child in tow of Kara Swisher and her wife, Amanda Katz. And Kara has four children, but two were with her and Amanda for the White House sort of holiday tour on Sunday, which also happened to be Kara's birthday. I was able to tag along. Strangely, the Secret Service approved me. My background check was cleared. But basically, I was like the third child. And out of the three children, probably I was the one that did not behave. The other two were perfectly behaved little cherubs. But went to the White House. And it's the last time I was at the White House was with another group of friends from D.C. And that was the last Christmas of the Obama administration. And in fact, we were there when the Obamas received the Christmas tree. It was quite an extraordinary moment because at the time they were setting up for the Donald Trump inauguration. And so this was, as you can, I guess this was November of of the Obama administration or December, I can't recall, but they were setting up, they were in the process of getting ready to set that stuff up. And 
people were crying. I mean, the White House staff, we encountered cleaners, we encountered, you know, people working directly in the West Wing, we encountered people who had been working there for 40 years, and they were crying, they were crying at the uh, sort of what was coming and little did they know they were crying over the departure of the incredible Obamas who each and every one of them said that one of the things that will stand out to them always was that President and First Lady Obama remembered every one of their names. And I mean, this was from cleaners and cooks and people who had been working sort of in the behind the scenes of the White House for, you know, some decades. So that was extraordinary. And so here we are now in a new administration. I had not gone to the White House with any, you know, I'd avoided it. Not that I was getting invited all the time before, but I certainly had no interest in even stepping foot in the vicinity of it during the Trump days. And if you guys recall, it was sort of boarded up. It was what a what a different kind of world it was. But now we have the Bidens and it's a whole new world and they have this Christmas tour. And I'm sure the Trumps did that, too. I think it's a it's the sort of tradition that people get invited to come in and see what the White House decorations look like. And you get to walk through certain rooms, beautiful rooms like Green Room and the Red Room. And I had not been on that tour. And I always think of the Oval Office as being such an extraordinary oval room, but there are apparently four oval rooms in the White House. And it was very chic at the time that the White House was rebuilt. Uh, Oval rooms were sort of very on trend, if you can imagine. And I don't know why we don't have more of them because it's pretty cool. Anyway, what I really thought was amusing was when you walk in uh, initially into sort of the grand hall there, the creative director has obviously worked with, I would imagine the, the first lady as traditions passed, but sort of on design decoration. It was beautifully done. There's a wall of photographs that show different family scenarios around the holidays of the different presidents. So you had Lyndon Johnson and his family in a sort of Christmas festive, beautiful photo at the White House. And you had the Clintons and you had the Kennedys and the Nixons. So, you you know, you had both both Republicans and Democrats. And then you had this beautiful image of President Obama with his back walking into the White House that was clearly during Christmas with lots of poinsettias and it just all evoked family and heroism and leadership. And the, the, the photos were joyful and full of love and compassion. And then (laughs) what I understand to be the only photo or evidence that the Trumps ever were in the white house, there was a photograph of Donald Trump and his wife, Melania. No, is that her name? I can't even remember Melania. And they were sitting very glamorous. She looked very glamorous, but they were sitting as far apart as you could possibly be. Very formally dressed in his, you know, cheap suit and red tie. And she looked, you know, like she was dipped in um, Laura Piana and the chairs were as far apart as they could possibly be. And they were facing away from each other as far away from each other as they could possibly be on the phone, each one of them having separate cell phone conversations. And the juxtaposition was incredible. It was such a fucking troll on the Trumps. Like it was genius. It was, you know, maybe not everybody would have picked up on it if they were just sort of walking by. 
But if you looked at it in the grand scheme of it, it was such a troll. It was genius. I have mad respect for the decision makers in that process. I loved it. Um, and then what you also saw in that that White House tour with the with the official portraits of Barack and Michelle Obama, which are spectacular. And of course, they were not officially unveiled during the Trump administration, as the tradition has always been, because Donald Trump is a piece of shit and a child. But they are gorgeous. They were done by this sort of realist painter. So they look like photographs. They are spectacular. If you follow me on Instagram, I posted the one of uh, Michelle Obama, who is basically our queen. And anyway, glorious, but a glorious troll. And it just shows that the power of just, you know, really creative imagery can just say a million things without saying anything. So props to the creative director and the team behind decorating the White House for Christmas. I see you. You're you're awesome. Okay, so moving into pop culture, we had a really sad story and we don't really talk about death here much. You know, people die, celebrities die. Uh, I think other than Betty White, I did not get into a lot of it, but Suicide is something we should all be thinking about in terms of helping, whether it's you yourself or family or friends, especially around the holidays. It is something paramount. We just don't know. People put on such shiny, happy faces like we need to be aware. We need to check in. We need to check in on people. And even if they're surrounded by family and friends, we should still check in on them. Like, how are you doing? But there was a suicide uh, that was announced today. And it was this very beloved DJ, Stephen Boss, who goes by Twitch, uh, only 40 years old. And he was, I guess, the in-house DJ for the Ellen show. Um, and leaves behind a wife and three kids. And it's just our thoughts and prayers are... are with everyone who knew him, but in particular his family. And it just, you know, I thought I would say this, um, and I know it's not fun and games here, uh, but it is important. And for those of you listening to just reach out and connect with someone, um, holidays are hard. And I say this as, as someone who's experienced a lot of loss and holidays can, can really bring that out. Now I happen to reach out for help all the time. Like I will tell my friends I'm not having a good day or I need to see someone in like for a cocktail and just have a check-in. Not everyone is like that. And, um, not everyone is able to articulate that they're in pain, but if they're asked or if they're checked in on, it really goes a long way. So we'll have information in the show notes for how you can contact a hotline and all of that. But also we had other breaking news um, that happened after I published the newsletter on Monday, moving on. And that is not probably new information if you're listening for the first time or you're a regular listener, you are probably pretty well connected to what's happening in the world, whether it's pop culture or otherwise. Um, and that is that Sam Bankman Freed otherwise known as SBF, the founder and former CEO of FTX, 
Um, and then he had his uh, hedge fund as well. Alameda was arrested in the Bahamas. And this is a story that has captivated everyone. Uh, lots of people's attention. There's so many different layers to it, but he was arrested. He's that moppy haired kid with his nails bitten down to the quick, usually wearing shorts, very disheveled. Already the famous stories have come out that investors, some of whom I know, invested in him. And despite during diligence calls, which is what investors do with the uh, founders of companies to determine sort of whether or not they're going to hand over this check, despite him being so disrespectful that he was sitting on like a beanbag playing video games during the diligence calls. This kid gets arrested. Uh, He's the only one so far to be arrested. It was, I believe, the night the day before, the night before he was supposed to appear in front of a congressional hearing, that statement, what he was going to say has also been released, which we'll get into in a second. But he was arrested in the Bahamas. The Bahamas has one jail, from what I understand. It is not it is not a luxury setup, as most jails are not. But I think this one in particular is um, pretty third world and very overcrowded and You know, the irony here is that this is a kid, a kid who comes from great privilege and great academic background. Both his parents were Stanford professors. They met at Stanford as professors, as legal experts. The dad apparently is so principled around taxes that he would even pay income taxes on winnings from like a guy's poker night. So think about all those things. Like, have you ever won $150 in, uh, at Vegas? Or have you gone to a casino night? Or have you played strip poker with your friends for money? Imagine declaring that on your taxes. I mean, no, you don't. If you babysat, did you file taxes when you were collecting money as a babysitter? You did not. So, you know, it's the irony runs really, really deep. And I want to talk about that for a second. But he was denied bail. Uh, he is apparently going to be sitting in that jail in the Bahamas until February. Um, he's fighting extradition, which is his right to do. But there is an extradition clause between the U.S. and the Bahamas. Um, his fighting it just means it gets delayed, but he'll likely inevitably get shipped back to the U.S. And I think it's being tried in the Southern District of New York. Um, They take no prisoners. Um, Our bestie, Space Karen, had tweeted back in November, because as we know, he's become a full right wing conspiracy theorist, uh, or at least he's playing one on Twitter. And he had tweeted in November, there was no way that this would ever Uh, go to trial or he wouldn't get charged because he was a big Democratic donor, he being SBF, who had donated millions and millions to Democratic political figures, including the Biden administration or campaign. And they, Elon had perpetuated this belief that he would never get charged because this was all some grand conspiracy and the government was involved and the Biden administration would protect him and so forth and so on. That has proven not to be the case in any way as intelligent people with intellect and credibility all thought from the very beginning, they just needed to build a case and seemingly have built a case. And I guess his sentence, uh, it will all determine on who turns on whom and whether there are others that bring evidence against him. And it's going to be a very long, dragged out process, I imagine. 
some smart people that I talk to in that world believe he'll serve, he'll get sentenced to like 25 years or maybe a lot longer, but serve 25 years. Um, it's apparently like a 190 year sentence. But here's what I think is interesting. A couple of things have come to light. Uh, he is claiming that depression, anti-Semitism and other things caused him to go down this path. There's also the ex-girlfriend who was actually just spotted in a in a New York coffee shop ordering a latte. Um, but there's some question of whether she's going to turn on him or he turn on her or whatnot. She ran the hedge fund side of the business and has some unflattering tweets out there about the love of Adderall and so forth. And that brings me to where I'm at. So SBF was granted permission yesterday for his parents to bring his antidepressants and his Adderall to him in prison. I also imagine most of you are familiar with Adderall, but if you are not, it is a fucking hell of a drug as the incredible, beautiful, wonderful, talented singer, songwriter, and now unbelievably talented actress, Lily Allen, and also a dear friend, commented on my tweet yesterday about this on Twitter. She said, I tweeted something about how you can look, you can literally follow the thread of destruction, whether it's founders, people in in Hollywood or talent or other leaders, you can see them implode directly tied to this drug Adderall. Whether or not Elon is on Adderall, that's an entirely another story. I imagine it was in somewhere there. My sources tell me Elon is very, very connected to ketamine, but that's just alleged. Um, but Trump, there's all that stuff about Adderall. Adderall is something that has destroyed people. And what Lily said on Twitter was, that's me. That's what happened to me in 2000 and whatever it was she said. And then she went on to say Adderall is a is a hell of a drug. It is a, it's a fucking nightmare. And what it is, is theoretically it is help to help people with ADD. And it, uh, it, it has an effect theoretically on people with ADD and other sort of issues around that to calm them down and help them focus because they can't focus. Now I have certain forms of that in terms of, and I'm dyslexic and I had been given a prescription of Adderall. And let me tell you, it is the only time in my life that I've never felt in control when I took Adderall. I understand it is incredible in terms of making you very focused. I've never been more productive in my life. You can work literally straight through. You don't have to sleep. You don't have to eat. I understand the appeal to that in terms of people who are just trying to get a ton of shit done. That is not healthy. We need to sleep. We need to eat. It also causes rage. It causes irrational behavior. It causes your moods to go from very high to very low. It basically turned everyone I know, myself included, into like a bipolar freak, like big, big love, big, big hate, big, big mood swings. And it just and that is for people who are literally prescribed it. I'm not talking about kids doing it for partying, which is another story, but I'm talking about people who are, who are doing it with a prescription from a doctor who have been theoretically diagnosed with something that gives them their doctors the right to prescribe them Adderall for which the insurance covers it. I was one of those people. I know lots of people with that. Now, lots of doctors are loosey goosey with prescriptions, but I am telling you, Adderall is at the core of so much of this 
sort of destruction and where you're seeing people go from really interesting, talented, thoughtful people to just angry, crazy shells of themselves. Now, I am certainly not suggesting SBF created fraud, did this whole crazy, destructive, you know, business and stole billions of dollars because of Adderall. But what I do believe is that Adderall clouds judgment. I do believe Adderall changes people's sort of uh, way of thinking and removes that certain part of your brain of that, <laughs> that creates rational thinking. And I do think it's connected. Now, do I think he was in over his head and Adderall certainly helped that? perhaps, but do I think he's a sociopath? And I asked a bunch of people, do we think he's a sociopath? Like, is he this evil guy that set out from the very get-go to create a fraudulent business? Do not. And most people I spoke to do not. The obvious comparisons are Bernie Madoff. And what we need to remember is Bernie Madoff had a legitimate business and he set out on a course of creating a legitimate business. Greed, hubris, um, ego, all of that stuff got in the way. And he eventually created an, a fraudulent business and was conning everyone. Um, SBF seems to have gone that route as well. But I would have to say drugs play a part in that. And his role as a child of academics, who you think it's so interesting. We've read these stories about SBF growing up in this unbelievable household where they treated him and his brother like adults. And they would sit at the dinner table with, with guests from the university and have debates even at the age of eight or nine and that the parents treated them as adults. And, you know, I'm not a parent. I have no business weighing in on what parenting is, but I do have friends. I have a mix of friends, some of whom were raised letting them be kids and some who were raised as mini adults. And the mini adult ones, there's this burden. There's this pressure that lives on them. Yes, they're incredibly educated and articulate and have an unbelievable understanding of the world like SBF clearly did. But there is this there is this pressure. They never were allowed to just, you know, run through the sprinklers and, you know, be silly kids and get ice cream all over their face and run around the house naked, naked, pulling off their diapers. It does not let them be children. So it's, it's a bummer to see this happen to people that probably set out, the parents probably set out to create these really dynamic young thinking or fresh thinking children who, uh, you know, it's, this is now their legacy. They can't probably be professors anymore. Their involvement with politics has been tainted. The book that I believe the father has about was about to publish. It needs to be rewritten clearly, but it's just a, it's, I know people will criticize me for saying it's a tragedy, but it is one of those sort of biblical stories, right? The the parents that have played such an iconic role in creating laws around taxes and, and all of that stuff has a son that is going to go to jail maybe for the rest of his life as um, a result of breaking those laws. So there we are. Lots of stuff. And I'm sure there'll be more and more news each day. Speaking of other news, we've mentioned him, Space Karen, other news that happened after I published the newsletter came out that for some reason, for some reason, Dave Chappelle, who we all know, um, some of us love, some of us don't, but 
I don't think you can question his talent or his genius. But for some reason, in his talented genius mind, thought it was a good idea to bring out Elon Musk, Space Karen, onto the stage at his show in, I don't know if it was San Francisco, certainly the Bay Area, um, over the weekend. And Elon was booed. And he was booed, like not a few boos. Like it was very, very loud. Um, I saw several videos where you could just hear the pronounced like real, just growing, growing, booing. As Elon is pulled out onto the stage, he's just standing there. It's real awkward. It's a very awkward, it's one of those things like if I had been there, I would have, my calf muscles would have tightened up. It was a very awkward situation. And Dave Chappelle and his genius leaned into that. Ladies and gentlemen, make some noise for the richest man in the world. very funny because in a very Trumpian way, which we've come to know and not love, Elon tries to change the story. So he, first of all, said that the booze, there were booze, but there were a lot of cheers and he used some crazy percentage number that only he could make up and then claimed that, and I have friends that were there, nobody witnessed any of this, then claimed that it was a result of a fight that broke out in the audience. And that was what really dominated the the noise. I mean, it's just ridiculous. And then he proceeds to blame the far left and the woke mob of San Francisco for, for booing him. And as we've all followed, I don't think the super woke are going to a Dave Chappelle show. It's incongruous to what Dave Chappelle is out there talking about. Obviously, Dave has some very opinionated views on the trans movement and what's happening in society. I think he is a very smart take in terms of how he how he approaches his personal feelings. I don't agree with him on some things, but I, I appreciate his talent and I appreciate his voice. That said, the super woke people, which I may not be a part of, I guess, but they're not, they're not clobbering to get to Dave Chappelle. And it's not like people knew that Elon was going to be trotted out on stage. So there was this campaign to get people to make noise. I, it just was the strangest thing. And I don't understand what the point of bringing a tech CEO or, or quote unquote founder because we know that Elon's not, I don't know, he wasn't the founder of Tesla. He bought the company and took it over from the founders. He's not the founder of Twitter, as we very well know, but he's trotted out. Maybe it's because at that moment in time, he is not anymore the richest man in the world. Maybe it's just because he himself is a pop culture figure. Maybe because he himself has spoken about the trans stuff more in agreement with Dave Chappelle, who the fuck knows Dave thought it was a good idea. It turned into a viral moment. And then when I retweeted, I was on an airplane when I saw it and I retweeted the, the video, I got a couple of messages from people all around the same time that were like thoughts and prayers. It was nice knowing you on Twitter. See you soon. I was like, what are you talking about? I, my heart stopped. I thought maybe like something had happened on Twitter, but 
what people had told me was that the rumor, and again, this is rumor, this is, I, I have no knowledge of this is fact, was that Elon was taking people's accounts down who retweeted it and was blocking them or um, removing them from Twitter. And I was like, I realized at that moment, I thought to myself, what would happen if I had been removed from Twitter? I mean, I would be upset. I still use it as a valuable tool to connect with people outside of the noise, like real people talking about interesting things, media, so forth and so on. And then I'd be like, okay, I guess that's like, I find something new. There's post, which is growing and growing and growing, um, which is an alternative to Twitter post news, terrible name in terms of SEO, try searching for it. And it's really hard, but lots of people talking about post on Twitter and moving over there. What's interesting is it's not just the big sort of names in tech. It's real people. It's real people with real audiences and engagement on Twitter are, are leaving. So we're seeing that. But uh, I did not get removed. You know, my free speech has not been impacted. But, but just today, Elon moved, I guess, removed the Twitter account of the kid who had been tracking his plane for years. I think it was called Elon Jet. And it's made a lot of news. We've covered it in the newsletter in the past. This kid um, using data that he was able to get publicly was tweeting the location of Elon's jet. It's, it hilarious. And of course, like a lot of people are like, did Elon buy Twitter just to shut that kid down? Who knows? But freedom of speech that he is so much out there speaking about clearly is only if it doesn't hurt Elon. We've seen this already where people were suspended for making fun of Elon's name, using his name. And he created this new rule about impersonation. Now this kid has been fully suspended. The tragedy here too, is that at the same time he's doing this, he has been doxing individuals. So um, a former Twitter employee, several former empl Twitter employees have had their lives upended due to these tweets that then ignite the QAnon crazies, the Pizzagate crazies, Pizzagate, the people who really, really believe that a pizza store in D.C. was a front for pedophilia involving Hillary Clinton, among others. I mean, it's nuts. And these people are out there destroying lives, making threats, making people leave their homes in the middle of the night and um, seek safety. It's outrageous. It is truly a, a horrifying moment. We've also seen Elon. And again, this is very Trumpy, but you know, out of the blue with no context, just my pronouns are prosecute Fauci, which is insulting the trans movement and insulting Fauci, but also creating a very, very dangerous rhetoric. And, you know, but then when it's done to him, he can't take it. So here we are. Maybe I will have to be, you know, get secret service to, or what, not secret service, but you know, um, protectors at some point, just cause we're all outspoken about it, whether you have an audience or not. And it's, it's pretty crazy. We're here. Who knows what's going to happen? I will say Tesla stock is, is dropping like, a a boulder in the, in a pool of water. It is going down, 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 down. And lots of talk about an activist investor will come in and take over Tesla and we'll see what happens. But what will that do to Elon and his fragile ego? I don't know. There's so much else that's been going on, but I, I obviously have to get to things. You don't want to listen to me talk for like a million, million miles, a million minutes, I should say. We have the White Lotus. 
If you guys aren't watching The White Lotus or you haven't watched The White Lotus, I don't know why you're listening to a a pop culture podcast, to be honest. So you might want to get off this podcast and immediately go and um, watch the show. This was the second season. Its finale was on Sunday. it really is an incredible show. The, the creator is a genius and it's nice to see someone, Mike White, sort of get his due uh, that's well-deserved. And it's not like he's not been known, but I think this has put him on a global stage unlike anything before. If you've seen Chuck and Buck, if you've seen School of Rock, you're very familiar with his work. He starred in Chuck and Buck and, and wrote and directed it, I believe, and then created School of Rock. He is also a legendary contestant on Survivor and The Amazing Race. And it's so interesting. These are shows that I never watch, but I will say, and I've written this, some of the smartest people I know who have no time for pop culture uh, silliness, but they're literally the smartest people I know. They don't watch reality shows. They're not Bravo people like I am. They have been obsessive viewers of the Survivor franchise and the Amazing Race franchise from the very beginning. We'll rewatch them. We'll go back and watch old seasons. These are incredibly smart people. And what I guess I missed on this is that it's an unbelievable look at strategy. The smartest people I know also play Risk, also play, you know, had grew up playing those games. It's strategy. And it is amazing to see the connection. And Mike White has this unbelievable capability of strategy and threading sort of stories together and going back and putting things together that you sort of all real, like it all comes about at the end. And that's what was the genius of the White Lotus, the storylines, the the references to historical and non-historical fictional sort of moments, whether it was like biblical moments or from from the course of history to Godfather references and tying it all in and threading things from last season to this season. It's just is incredible as as is the story development, the the character development, as were all of the characters themselves, their storylines, the way they own their stories, the fashion, the music, I mean the the visuals, like I guarantee everybody is going to be in Sicily this summer. Sicily will have a explosion of tourism and that Four Seasons Hotel that plays the scene, the backdrop for the White Lotus will, if not already, is booked probably for three years. So Godspeed to Mike White. You are genius, except, and this is a spoiler, but if you're, if it's already been out, so it's all over the news, all over the socials. They killed off the best character, and I guess rightfully so. There was just no way, realistically, she could continue on. Please, these gays, they're trying to murder me. There were already so many signals that she wasn't going to make it, most especially, in my opinion, her sitting through Madame Butterfly, which we all know is a tragedy. And if you don't know, go Google it. Madame Butterfly, beautiful opera. It's a tragedy. And it brings us full circle to where we started on the top of this podcast, which is about suicide. So there is a theme there. It is something to pay attention to. But on the fun side, go watch The White Lotus. It's fabulous. And if you guys have any tips for me on new shows, I need to get into it. I have finished Wednesday. The White Lotus is done. Like I, I don't know what to do. I, I can't face it. I am going to go see that Avatar movie next weekend, uh, 
or is it this weekend? I think it's this weekend at a screening. I'm excited to see it. I did not think I would be excited, but IMAX 3D, I'm ready. So I will let you guys know how that is. And lastly, my make out Mary and mute, just little old me. I would absolutely make out with Jennifer Coolidge, Tanya on uh, The White Lotus, 100%. Um, I mean, I would make out with all of the women on that show. I think we talked about it last week, but all of the women on that show are extraordinary. The men are all hot and weirdly little. Well, I'm not going to get into it, but all the men for the most part are hot and they are all terrible. But the women who are also all beautiful and fashionable are brilliant. And I would make out with all of them. And who would I marry? I honestly, I, I think that I would abstain from marriage this week, uh, as I have done successfully in my 48 years, I would abstain from marriage. There's nobody I would really want to marry at this moment in time. And I would mute the same person that I think I've been muting for months now, but that is space Karen. I wish somebody would permanently ban him from Twitter. Wouldn't that be, wouldn't that be something, but that's not possible because he is the, he's gotten rid of all of the groups of people at Twitter that would put safety first at that organization. And he's now selling off the office supplies. So I will say I saw a brazing pan that was like $17,000. So whoever allowed Twitter to go run off the rails like that in terms of expenses is crazy. But it's a mockery. We're living in a simulation. And uh, I don't know if we should be excited for 2023 or hiding under our beds, but we shall see. We'll see you guys next week. And just letting you know, we're going to take a break for the holidays because no one wants to listen to a podcast during the holidays. You guys are all going to be somewhere sitting on a beach or on a mountain or on an airplane. So I love you. Have a great weekend and all those holiday parties and drive safely. Don't drive. Don't get behind the wheel. Not that anybody does anymore, except for like me. Don't drive a Tesla. Sorry to all my friends who have a Tesla. There's so many great electric cars out there. Go go find an alternative and have a great pop culture filled weekend. See you next week. Pop culture nerd.